well done. You um, get some sort of prize for making it in today, uh, despite the challenges. Um, so I, I appreciate that. Uh, I do. I just want to say something about that. I think here before we get uh, before we really get going um, in our teaching time. Uh, we've been meeting here at this theater for, for many years now. I have a great relationship with the school and with the uh, organization that runs the theater. Um, but this whole construction project um, that's happening out in our front yard has definitely made things a little bit more challenging. And um, sometimes they don't even know what that's going to mean on a week-to-week basis. So one of the things that we always talk about is that the church is not a place, right? It's not a thing, a, a building that you go to. It is a community, a people, a family that you are a part of. And we get a lot of reminders of that in our setup, uh, which can be challenging and, I will just be honest, frustrating at times, but is also, I think, a good reminder of that truth, right? That church is not a place that we go to, it is a people that we are a part of. And so this morning, yet another reminder of that. Um, And again, I just appreciate your attitude, spirit, posture towards some of those disruptions. Um, I always am just impressed, this discovery, with the way that you respond to those those sorts of things. So thank you for that uh, today. All right, we are in um, the Gospel of Mark, continuing our... Uh, our journey and conversation through the stories of Jesus as told to us by Mark. So if you have a Bible, meet me in Mark chapter 9. And as you're doing that, I just want to say happy Father's Day to the dads. Uh, I salute you. Three dads. (laughs) Um, First of all, as a dad, I just want to say that I, I think about this a lot. The, the, challenge and the great task it is of being a dad in our cultural moment. There are a lot of, uh, there's, I think there's always challenges to parenting in any era, but I think there's a lot particularly in our, uh, in our current day and age. And so to the dads, I just want to say, uh, well done, keep it up, keep at it, even though it is hard and challenging, we are with you, we are rooting for you, and we are cheering you on in this, uh, in this task. As we do, though, in these moments, whether it's Mother's Day or Father's Day or other you know, things that come up in the course of the calendar, we also want to acknowledge that a day like today can be challenging for many of us, right? And Father's Day, on our relationship or lack thereof with our own dads, uh, a day like Father's Day can, can just bring up all different sorts of emotions, wounds even, uh, some, some grieving and some laments that maybe we're still working through in a lot of ways. So... One of the things that we strive to do here at Discovery is kind of hold space for both of those things, right? Celebrating and cheering on our dads, but then also acknowledging that a day like today can be challenging. So in that spirit, I want to pray, and then we're going to jump into Mark chapter 9, which just so happens to be a story about a dad. This was not planned or manufactured, just kind of worked out that way um, in the way the calendar kind of played itself out. All right, so pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be together today, Uh, grateful to still be able to get into this space, uh, to worship, to gather around the table, to celebrate and remember Jesus, who Jesus is and all he has done for us. So in the midst of, of... the challenges of meeting in a space like this in the midst of Father's Day. God, may our reason for being here this morning be to gather around the table. May our hearts, our minds, our eyes be focused 
on Jesus, who is described in Scripture as the author and perfecter of our faith. And so all the things that we bring into this moment with us, wonderful things, great things, hard things, challenging things, our grief, but also our joy, God, we bring all of it to you today and ask you to hold it for us so that we can have a real authentic encounter with Jesus. We pray this now in your name. And everybody said, amen. All right, Mark chapter 9, we're going to jump into the middle of the story. And then we're going to sort of build around that as we make our way through this today. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 24. You can uh, read along with me in your physical Bible. The words will also be up on the screen. Immediately, immediately, if you've been with us for this Mark conversation, you know that this is one of Mark's favorite words. He uses it all the time. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. He's casting a demon out of a boy. The boy's father is the one who has, who has come asking for help and who makes this great statement. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. All kinds of interesting, fun stuff going on in this scene today. How many of you here are Mandalorian fans? Okay, I am. And so are four or five of you over here on this side of the theater. That's great. All right. The, the Disney Plus show, the Star Wars kind of universe show, The Mandalorian, has popularized this phrase. Everybody say it with me. This is, this is the way. All right. This is the way. There it is. Um, some of us, maybe all of us, have areas of our life where we have a way. I grew up in a home where there, were, <clears throat> there was a way to do a lot of things. Right? I grew up in the, in the kind of home where it was like mowing the lawn, this is the way. Okay, are you with me? Uh, doing the dishes, this is the way, right? Cooking eggs, this is the way. There was a way in which we did these things. And one of the like interesting parts of growing up, and I'm sure, again, we've all had this, this experience, but you meet other people, you move in, you have roommates, you get married, and you find out that, like, oh, there are other ways of doing these things. What, one of the biggest ones, maybe one of the most divisive ones, is the dishwasher. All right? This is the way. Uh, for some of you, doing the dishwasher or loading the dishwasher looks something like this. Hopefully you can see this. This is actually a diagram. I did some Google work this week. Like, wow, there are a lot of opinions about this. This is a Whirlpool uh, manual. It, you know, it, it's got all the things lined up perfectly. Some of you are like, yes, this is the way. Now, others of you are maybe more like this, right? It's, it, it made it in the dishwasher. It made it in the dishwasher, mission accomplished, right? 
this is the way. Some of you are like, ooh, you're feeling it. Like you're feeling it already. That's a, that's a somewhat lower stakes one. Although, again, I've seen some friendships and even some marriages have to work through this. Um, there's other things, though, where, like, you know, the stakes get raised a little bit. Uh, if you, uh, this is, you know, it's Father's Day, right? If you step into the world of parenting, you get a lot of this, right? And there are very strong opinions and camps around this is the way to teach your kid how to sleep, right? This is the way to do meals and to think about food. This is the way to do discipline. And whoo, when you, when you find out that there are multiple ways, it gets interesting. <laughs> it gets exciting. Now, the desire for a good way, the desire for the right technique, this is a good desire. Techniques and systems, they help things run smoothly. They, they relieve us from some decision fatigue. They can facilitate quick learning and the, the ability to pass on quickly how to do something. But that good desire can very quickly transition into, into unhealthy things, right? It can, it can transition into that sort of stifling mindset of like, well, this is just how we've always done it and there's no deviation or creativity from that. Right? It can lead to, to broken relationships uh, marred by arguments and disagreements. I have my way, you have your way, and we can never figure it out. We step into this sort of moment midway through Mark chapter 9. If you scroll back a little bit to verse 14, this is how the scene begins. When they, and, I, and we'll go back even farther here in a moment and talk about they, but it's Jesus, Peter, James, and John, three of, three of Jesus' 12 disciples, when they came to the other disciples, so the other nine, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? Jesus asked. The disciples and the teachers of the law, we're going to see this in just a moment, they are arguing over the way. They're arguing over the way, the technique to cast out demons. The religious leaders certainly had their techniques, but the disciples had also gained some experience with this as well. If you go back in the story to Mark chapter 6, you will see that Jesus had given them authority and had actually sent them out to do this, to cast out demons. And they had done it and they had done it successfully. And so you can imagine... I'm sure you've, you've probably been around that person who like has gained a little bit of experience in a particular area and suddenly they're the expert, right? They, they know what to do. And so you have these disciples like, well, this is how, like, you know, Jesus told us this and we did this and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are like, no, 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 this is how you do it. And they're arguing over how to cast out a demon. Meanwhile, right there is a desperate dad begging for someone to help his son. And right out of the gate here, I think we need to pause for a moment and note this contrast between the disciples and the teachers of the law arguing over technique and this dad who has a, a son who's in a really bad way, desperate for help. I think that in a lot of unfortunate ways, this is a picture of where the church often is in our cultural moment. We're over here arguing about stuff, the right way to teach the Bible, the right way to worship, the right way to do small groups. We're having these technique debates, and meanwhile, right there in front of us are people who 
desperately need help who are searching for good news. It's really interesting, convicting, sad picture. Which leads us to, you know, a couple big questions here, even at the beginning of our, of our time in this story. Do we let debates over technique get in the way? Do our internal arguments prevent us from seeing the needs that are right in front of us? Now, back into the story for a moment. Going back to where we were last week, the previous chapter, Jesus has made it clear that his mission is to get to the cross. That's where all of this is headed. That's where this thing is going. Jesus is headed to the cross, and and he uses that moment to not just describe what he is up to, but to tell his disciples and invite us subsequently into this too. This is our mission too. We pick up our cross, we get behind Jesus, and in doing so, right, in losing our life, we find life. This is the good news. Right? This is the gospel of Jesus. Lose your life to find it. Well, right after that, Jesus takes these three guys, kind of his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. They go up on a mountain, and this crazy thing happens. Jesus' appearance is changed. The fancy word here is transfigured. And he meets Moses and Elijah on a mountain. There's a cloud that comes out. There's this whole scene, all kinds of stuff going on there. Old Testament references and, and foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to accomplish through his death and resurrection. All kind of playing out right in front of Peter, James, and John on this mountain. In the midst of that moment, God the Father speaks over Jesus. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. This is the second time in the Jesus story where something like this happens. God's speaking over him. This is my son whom I love. This time he adds the listen to him part. So here we have Jesus on a mountaintop, deeply affirmed, encouraged, reminded of his purpose, who he is. He has this clear vision of the road ahead. And he comes down the mountain on this spiritual high and immediately is plunged into a chaotic mess. Which is how life goes, right? We, we get up early in the morning, we have our coffee, we're praying or, or reading something. This like sort of peaceful, serene moment. And then we open our email and it's immediately like, oh. Right, we have a great meeting with a client. We walk out into the hallway, the boss is screaming at people. And we're like right down off the mountain into the mess. One minute, you're the greatest parent in the world. The next minute, the worst. (laughs) Off the mountain, into the mess. Which I think helps us understand Jesus' response. Because it's not positive. You, You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long will I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Sounds kind of harsh, right? And coming off the mountain high, it it feels quick to go from uh, such an awesome experience to such a frustrated place. Let's remember, Jesus is fully human. 
Right? Jesus is fully human, and as he embraces his mission to go to the cross, he's now in a situation where he's dealing with a silly argument between two groups of people who have a very limited understanding of the bigger story that they are in. And so I think Jesus' words here are more of a lament than a critique. More of a lament than a critique, right? The clock is ticking. He can feel the time. You know, I think the whole how long is like, I'm not going to be around here much longer. Why are we doing this? Why are we having this argument? Don't you see that there are people that need help? So they bring the boy to Jesus. We learn a little bit more about the, the situation that he's in. Convulsions, foaming on the mouth. This has been going on since he was little. The demon throwing the boy into water, fire, trying to kill him. This is all a parent's worst nightmare, right? Evil forces bent on the destruction of a child. And the father, you just, you get the sense that this dad is like, I mean, at the end of his rope, right? He's tried everything. If you can do anything, take pity on us. Help us. Jesus responds in this interesting way. If you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Now, Jesus is not chastising the Father. I do not believe that actually what he's saying here is, is directed to the Father at all. This dad is desperate, is searching for help. Over and over again, we've seen in our time in Mark that Jesus... Uh, and over again, I think that if and everything is possible for, ones who, for one who believes is a message for his disciples. And not, I don't think he really means it this way, but kind of like, I don't need to be here dealing with this. Like, you guys can do this. You can do this. Everything is possible. Now, this phrase that Jesus uses here, everything is possible for one who believes, is one of the most misapplied and misunderstood verses in all of Scripture. And I think one of the reasons for this is because we have a very uh, faulty uh, working definition of faith and belief. We tend to treat faith like a substance, like a currency. And this idea that if we just earn more, get more of it, then we can do more stuff. My kids just uh, finished school. My daughter finished fourth grade. And a big part of their, their like, sort of classroom structure and incentives this year was this thing called Tiendita. This means little store. And they earn tickets, gotcha tickets, which is like, it's like a good thing. I gotcha, you know, answering the question, uh, being a good classmate, helping someone out, whatever it is. They earn these things um, for different values throughout the year. And then they can, they can cash them in at the store. And, and so I think it was like every Friday or whatever, that, you know, depending on how many they earn during the week, they can take their tickets and go buy stuff at the store. Well, somewhere halfway through the year, I noticed that, that Marina, my daughter, has this like huge stack of gotcha tickets, which is like a good sign. <laughs> but I'm like, what are you doing with these? And she's like, I'm saving them. And I was like, you know, so I'm thinking like, okay, maybe there's like one big prize in the store. And I'm like, what are you saving them for? And she says... I'm going to buy the whole store. Like, okay. All right. Uh, very interesting exercise in uh, delayed gratification and, like, economics, right? 
It's pretty awesome. I think, though, that sometimes this is how we think about faith, right? I just got to earn more of these tickets so that when I really need something, I can cash it in and get what I want. And the problem with that is that that is not what faith is like or what faith is about at all. Faith is a relational word, not a substance word. Faith is a relational word. And the quality of our faith is not about how much we have or, or, or how much we earn or, or how much we kind of work ourselves into a state of, of believing like, ooh, I'm really into it right now. The quality of our faith is dependent on who we trust. It's dependent on the one that we put our trust in. And this is where I think the story gets really interesting for those of us here in, in Davis. The disciples have had some success casting out demons. And again, if, if you've been tracking with the story, you know that they've been, they've been having a lot of experiences. They haven't really been getting it. Jesus has been getting kind of frustrated with them for not making a lot of connections. And so here comes a moment where they actually know what's a thousand. And Jesus says, right? A, a, a chapter before this is, is the feeding of the 4,000. And Jesus says, you, know, you guys feed them. It's like, well, how, we, we have, you know, five pieces of bread or whatever. Like, how do we, they don't know how to do that. Right? They don't have experience with that. But here's one where they do. Oh, we know how to do this. Have you ever had that, that feeling where you're in something and you're kind of out of your comfort zone and then finally some, some thing comes along, some task comes along, and you're like, oh, I know how to do this. You sort of latch on to those, right? They knew some techniques. They had developed some competencies. But they were beginning to trust their competency more than they were trusting Jesus. Part of what Jesus is saying, anything is possible for those who believe. Part of what Jesus is saying is, hey, with me, with me, anything is possible. What world are you living in? Are you living in the world where you are trusting yourself, your competencies, your technique, or are you living in a world where you trust me? The Father is all for it. Right, this great, great statement of faith. In Mark 9, 24, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I don't know if there's a more real, raw statement of what it means to believe than that. I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And this tracks with some things that we've seen before. If you go back to Mark chapter 4, remember the parable of the sower, this whole idea of the more we seek, the more we find. Here we go. The father seeking, he's going to find all kinds of stuff now in this relationship with Jesus. Jesus, who has allowed his full humanity to be on display throughout this exchange, now demonstrates his complete divinity, right? He's got this under control. He rebukes the spirit. He commands it to come out and never return. And it happens, but it, it kind of freaks everybody out because the boy looks like he is dead. But Jesus is not done. Jesus is an expert in death to life. Things that look dead to us are full of potential to Jesus. Right? He wants them to see. He wants especially his disciples to see a whole other world is possible. With me, anything is possible. Jesus goes to the boy, lifts him to his feet, and he's good to go. 
Jesus, fully human, fully divine, totally in control of this chaotic and charged scene. But there's more to the story, right? After all of this, the disciples come to him and say, why couldn't we do it? <laughs> right? Why couldn't we do it? And Jesus responds with this. This kind can come out only by prayer. Now here's another area, I think, for potential misapplication. We tend to over-spiritualize Jesus' response, right? Just pray about it. I'm sure some of you have probably, you know, had that sort of moment where you've expressed some deep need. Someone's like, oh, just pray about it. It can feel kind of hollow, right? Again, Jesus is not just sort of dismissing them or the seriousness of the situation. He's inviting them deeper into relationship with him. Jesus, who has, has stepped off the mountain into the mess, sees his poor disciples once again struggling, not getting it. Again, back to chapter 8. Don't you grasp what has happened? Don't you understand? Are your hearts so resistant to what God is doing? Don't you have eyes? Why can't you see? Don't you have ears? Why can't you hear? Don't you remember? Only by prayer... It is not a technique statement. This is not Jesus saying, you, you were trying to do it this way, but really you need to do it this way. This is Jesus once again moving them from their reliance on themselves, their competencies, deeper into relationship with him. The heart of this story is the posture difference between the boy's father and the disciples. They're trusting in themselves what they know to do, their techniques, and it's left them frustrated and in a big old argument. The father is desperate and utterly dependent on Jesus. And it's his statement, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief, that is the sort of prayer that Jesus is referring to here. Desperate, dependent, unpolished, raw, what we say around here, an honest conversation with God about what is real. An honest conversation with God about what is real. And so I think our big question today, our invitation this morning is how do we then turn this into our own prayer? How do we turn this into our own prayer? I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Let me just ask you about three things. And of course, there's, there could be more or many other things going on in your life. But three things. The first is work. For probably most of us in this theater this morning, our deepest competencies are at play at our work. We've trained for stuff, we know what to do, we have experience, but there are always invitations within our work to trust and to rely on Jesus even more. And so my question for you this morning is where at work does it feel impossible? Where at work does it look like death? Maybe it's, it's your relationship with your boss. Maybe it's a super annoying coworker. 
maybe it's just the general sense of like direction. Should I take that promotion? Do I look for a new career? I mean, there's all these questions, right, when it comes to our work. How do you turn that into a prayer? I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. What about church? <clears throat> Some of us have church baggage, right? Maybe all of us. Maybe the idea of getting involved in a church community, opening up to new relationships, maybe that feels daunting. I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe some of us have a way that we expect church to go. We have techniques that, that have worked for us. But maybe you're being invited, and I sense that many of us are in this place. Maybe you are being invited to explore or to discover something new. I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And then the last one would be family. And again, this can be so many different directions. Maybe it's parents, kids, a partner, a spouse. Maybe it's extended family. Maybe you have some hard conversations. Maybe you have a role within your family that, that you need to break out of. But man, imagining different dynamics in that place feels impossible. Feels like that's it's dead. Jesus is an expert in death to life. Help me overcome. So work church family, again, maybe there's other things. I want to invite us to bring all of that to the table this morning. As we gather around the table, the, this moment that we call communion, right? Where we remember what Jesus has done for us. We celebrate his death and resurrection, the restoration of relationship with God and with each other. Let's bring all of this to the table this morning. Our doubts, our questions, our fears, our concerns, bring them to Jesus. Turn it into a prayer. I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. The table is the moment, the place where we remember and celebrate that death is transformed to life. That everything is possible, not because we try really hard or we believe really hard. Everything is possible because Jesus has overcome death. In this new reality called the kingdom of God, things that look dead are actually full of potential. So let's bring it all to the table. Let's trust Jesus with it. And let's see what he does with that. Let's see what he does with that. Telling stories of death to life. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we can probably name many things. At work, in relationship to church, in our families, other areas of life where things feel dead. where it seems impossible to imagine a different way. And so, God, we thank you for the good news that with you all things are possible. That dead things come back to life. That this is your competency. Death to life. So, 
So we bring all of this to you today, God. Turning it into a prayer, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. Help us in our unbelief. May we grow in our trust of Jesus. May we grow in our trust of Jesus. We pray this this morning, God, as we enter into a time of worship around the table. We pray this this morning. Help our unbelief. Amen.